What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Leadership Locker. Look, I, I got an opportunity to go up to, to Dirty Jersey, my stomping grounds, and go interview Hala Taha. Now, here's the deal with Hala. I've known her for quite a while, and I have literally watched the rocket ship of success that she's on. Now, although we were kind of casual friends and we met on LinkedIn and we had plenty of mutual friends, it wasn't until I actually got to sit down in front of her and then also host some uh, rooms on Clubhouse with her. Uh, she invited me and a, a lot of her friends to mod that I was just like really kind of picking up on the depths of her knowledge. And that's exactly why we do this podcast. Okay, the Leadership Locker is about siphoning information from industry experts and influencers like Hala to get the best possible information. We need the best information that we can get to you know, accomplish our individual entrepreneurial and business endeavors. And this is exactly what happened. So she's going to talk to you about Clubhouse. She's going to talk to you about resilience. She's going to talk to you about marketing experience. She's going to talk to you about getting let go. She's going to talk to you about how to explode your podcast. So let's get to it. All right. So welcome to the Leadership Locker. I'm so we're here in Jersey City and I grew up in Jersey, but I left a long time ago. So it's fun to be back and doing a podcast here with someone who is a monster in the podcast world. Um, you've had ridiculous success and we were just talking about it before we started recording. But I always the only prepared question I always ask is, can you tell us your name and who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Hala. I'm the host of Young and Profiting Podcast. I'm also the CEO of Yap Media, and we're a social media and podcast marketing agency. Yes. So even branding yourself, like you had that ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I'm, I'm never concise with mine. So the first things I want to get into are some of your history. And I'm not, I know how big you are in research and I'm like, I don't want to go and ask the same questions. And I know I have different questions to begin with, but you worked with Angie Martinez at Hot 97. I grew up listening to Hot 97. I would listen to the, you know, five at nine and I'll hop five at nine and all that good stuff. But you were working there. And how long ago was that? That was a long time ago. That was almost 10 years ago. So that was when I was still in college. Okay. So you were doing that, but you were interning. Yeah. Right. And you put in all this time. And then I read that, you know, position came up and you actually, even though you were working for free for quite a while, like you kind of got passed over. Yeah. Talk to me about that first kind of bump in the road. Yeah. So I was working at Hot 97, as you said, for those who don't know, it's the number one hip hop and R&B station. Radio is a dying breed, but yeah. 10 years ago, that was like the oh, yeah. shit to yeah. be working at that yeah. station. And everybody thought it was a big deal, especially since I was so young. And I was the only girl in the studio area and nobody was really allowed there. So every day I met people like Chris Brown, J-Lo, Beyonce, Kim Kardashian, Drake. I've met everyone, right? <laughs> and so I would be the one preparing all the research mm -hmm. and I'd be running around the station, you know, preparing for all these interviews every day. I did everything for Angie Martinez from doing like babysitting her kids to oh getting her Lord. nail polish and shampoo and clothes to researching and doing all the interview prep and contest prep. And so I paid my dues, yeah. you know, yeah. and I also would like feed the meters for the DJs and I did everything, you know, so I was an intern for three years. I actually dropped out of school for the opportunity right. and I took a break from school. Yeah. And, you know, once an open position came up, it was like the assistant producer position. She actually hired somebody named DJ Drewski, who's very popular now. He's a big DJ on the station. And they passed over me. He was working there like a year longer than I was. Okay. And 
So like he had a little bit more experience, but still I was, you know, I was the one doing that job anyway and working for free for this lady. So she cut my key cards because I texted him like, Hey, I don't feel good. If you want to learn how to be the producer, learn it on your own. And you know, I was young and naive. (laughs) And so I texted, he showed her the text. She cut my key cards. Angie? Yeah. Angie was like, don't come back. She told all the DJs not to talk to me anymore. And all these people that I was working for for free and kind of hustled for so long for, they just cut me off. And so I decided I wanted to, you know, not get blackballed from the industry. And I started something called the sorority of hip hop. So let me go back to this. I did not know that. Before, you know, you didn't get that job and you were doing everything. Did you feel like this is so paying my dues? Like, were you all about it? And you were happy to do all that kind of random shit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you weren't like, this is such a hustler. I've always been a hustler. So it's like, I was the one training all the interns. I loved my job at Hot 97. Like I, everything about me, my identity was attached to that station. I had grown a following on Twitter and everybody knew me as a girl from Hot 97. All my friends were so impressed by it. It was like, my dream was to work at Hot 97. I wanted to be the next Angie Martinez. And I thought they were pruning me for that position, but it turns out that maybe they were using me or maybe they wanted to teach me a lesson. But unfortunately, I was too much of a, you know, go-getter to just be quiet and, and you know, be like kind of shut out for six months. I decided to just take things into my own hands. So I now know, I now understand that Instagram back and forth we had, I was trying to make a point and you had a point about like not working for free or whatever. So like, what would you say to someone who's in your shoes now, who's like, look, this is all going to pay off. As far as, I'm always big on expectation management. What would you tell people in your position now uh, to kind of look out for or be prepared for, whether it's good or bad? Yeah. I mean, I still recommend people to intern for free. People intern for free for me now. I'm just not making them intern for free for three years. It's more like three (laughs) months. But still, I think getting that experience is important. And I learned a lot at Hot 97. I learned how to audio edit. I learned how to produce shows. I learned the Dillette board. I learned how to speak under pressure. I used to do the commercials. I learned how to, you know, host parties and and do sales things. And so I had a lot of experiences working at that station. So I don't regret it for a bit, even though there was, you know, a time period where I was really upset. I made up with everyone in the end. I was, you know, a good person and they knew it and I worked hard. I just, there was just like a bump in the road. And, you know, that was supposed to be my path. I was supposed to, I wasn't supposed to stay at the station. When you started the sorority deal and you were, you were, I saw how you got it kind of blown up. It attracted the attention of MTV. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like MTV's filming you and this reality show, so to speak. And then it doesn't come to fruition. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, like here you are probably like, man, like minor setback, major comeback. Let's fucking go. And then that doesn't happen. What were you feeling then? Oh my gosh. So just for everybody listening out there, I want to like give some color to this. So I launched the sorority of hip hop. And I was a senior in college. I was finishing up my last year. Within three months, it, first of all, it was a website. It was a hip-hop and, and R&B, like, entertainment news site. We had radio shows. We hosted parties. Within three months, we were one of the most popular entertainment sites out there. We, like, hacked Twitter. It's a whole long story. Yeah. But, like, we got a lot of attention on Twitter. Nice. And I had lots of girls under me. And we were all, like, pretty young girls in the entertainment industry. Some worked at Def Jam. Some worked at VH1. Like, everybody had their own experience. And so I started this thing and it, it blew up. We were hosting parties and, and doing all of that. And MTV, you know, caught wind. So right away, three months in, they caught wind. They did like a mini pilot. We didn't get it, but we didn't care because we we're like MTV scouted us three months yeah. in. 
two years later, like a year and a half later, the same VP from MTV reached out to me and she's like, Kala, we want to pick your show. This is the real deal. They got us a studio on Broadway as if it was like the real world. So picture neon signs, all that cool stuff. We got our makeup done every day. They filmed me at my parents' house, at the restaurants, on like on the street, like everywhere. We hosted like this big concert. We did a dance. Like it was insane. Like it was the most insane thing I've ever done in my life. So I thought I was famous. Like we were already getting paid. I was like, I made it. I'm the next, you know, unfortunately. I you was had thinking, all the signals though. I mean, like, yeah. who wouldn't, I, 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 I'm not surprised. Who wouldn't feel that way? Yeah. But MTV also kind of like broke up the sorority because there was like five main girls and they were picked like younger girls to be on the show. So it was like me and like a couple other main girls. Girls you didn't know? Just girls that didn't pay their dues. Mm. So they picked like the hot young things or whatever. <laughs> and like some of the older girls got really mad. And so they were, they like put like holes into our group. You know what I mean? So they didn't do it the way that I would have done it if I was like the producer of the show. Yes. Right. And so once we didn't get MTV, like everything was just broken. And they wanted, we were fighting all summer for the drama, for the show. And then it was for nothing. And so I ended up shutting down the blog site. I also wasn't very good at monetizing it. We were making money from parties, not our huge website, which made no sense, but I just was inexperienced. And so I shut it down and, and I was devastated. It was like, again, the whole hot 97 thing was like, my identity was gone. I had to start back from zero. And at that point I thought I was never going to be in the entertainment industry again. I thought, this is it. Let me hang my hat up. Let me become normal. I went and got my MBA and then I just went to corporate. This is funny. My mom gives me the worst advice on earth. Like it's always bad. But the one thing she says (laughs) that always sticks is you are where you need to be. Like, do you look back on those two moments specifically and are like, that's exactly where I needed to be? Or are you like, fuck, I wasted my time? Sometimes I, you know, I wish that I had kept going because you know that like meme that's really popular where the guy is like chucking at like, and he's almost about to strike gold and then he gives up. That's what I felt like I did because I had built up a lot of momentum and a lot of people in New York and New Jersey knew who I was. And then I just disappeared. And so it's like, sometimes I wonder like, why did I do that? Like, why didn't I just keep going? But at the same time, I got all this business experience and I am where I am now. So it's like, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So Zach Babcock, I I went to St. Louis and we did a podcast and I I think I said this with him as well, but there's a a moment, it says, right when you feel like you're going to have a breakdown, that means you're probably on the cusp of a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And I always try and think of that, like when something in business goes wrong or a partnership falls through and I'm just like, that just means something is like really on the horizon. If if you're someone like you and me, who I would categorize as people who like really fucking want it. So so you went on this kind of four-year hiatus and you did your MBA. And I remember listening or reading that you're like, my audience changed, or at least who you wanted to target yeah. changed. Like, how important is that for people? And, and who did you change to, by the way? Yeah, so when I was in the sorority of hip-hop, we were really focused on, like, the urban audience. It was all about music. My interviews would be with, like, big celebrities, and we would talk about their love life, and we would play games. And it was just, like, you know, cute, fun, entertaining. Yes. Where now... I really want to impact people's lives and kind of level up people's lives. And so I went and I got my MBA. I got a 4.0. I got promoted five times in five years. I thought that I was going to be behind everybody my age because I didn't go to corporate straight out of college. And then I ended up surpassing everyone. 
And so I thought like, wow, I have something to teach people. You know, I am young and profiting and I want to I want to help other people become the same. And so I decided that I was going to really just change everything, make sure that it was meaningful, that I would provide advice to people that would, could really help them, you know, level up their lives. And that's why I started Young and Profiting. When you used to target people for the sorority of hip hop and then this, like what, talk to me about how you approach trying to gain that attention in different ways. Like in one way, you're trying to do parties, fun, entertaining stuff. And then now it's like, no, like I'm trying to actually have impact and show you how to level up financially in your life. Yeah. So I actually switched the platforms that I was focusing on. So I used to be focused on like Twitter and a little bit of Instagram. But back then, when you had 6,000 followers, that was like having 60,000 followers now. (laughs) So it's like back then I had 6,000, 7,000 Twitter followers. I thought I was like, you know, hot shit with that many followers because it was just way different back then. Um, I started my personal brand on LinkedIn and that really changed everything for me. So I'm like, I think one of the biggest influencers on LinkedIn, at least in the podcast space. Yeah, for sure. LinkedIn, obviously. I mean, that's where it's at. That's where I love to live as well. Um, So when you, you started Young and Profiting, and in, in well, the podcast, and we, I do want to get into some like technical podcast stuff, but you've skyrocketed. And some of this was after a catastrophic year, or at least first half of the year. And I was just reading it on LinkedIn. Um, you lost your father, COVID. I mean, there's a lot of dramatic things. And I love the turnaround story. Everyone loves like, you know, the arc. So here you are having a not so great year, but you're still doing your podcast, you're still going hard, and then things start to unfold. And I think in your Greenlights interview with Matthew McConaughey, you said things really opened up, like there was almost like a pressure that was off, I think is how you put it. Talk to me about going through that and then how things started to open up and all your efforts started to come to fruition. Yeah, so 2020 was like an insane, insane, horrible year for me. It started out in January with my dad kind of in and out of the hospital. Everyone's first catching wind of COVID. Everyone's scared. By February, my dad was out of the hospital. But then in March, my mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, and my brother, all like, you know, either they live in my ha- in my parents' house or neighbors, um, all got COVID. And so I got a call from my sister and she was like, Hala, you know, mom and dad have COVID. I was in Brooklyn at the time. I didn't have a car because I was in the city. Yeah. And she was like, you know, are you going to come with me or not? You know, are you coming or not? And I was like, I'm coming. Like, of course, mom and dad are sick. Mm-hmm. Pick me up. Mm-hmm. So I went and it's like I had two hours to pack my stuff and I didn't go back to my apartment for another like three months. Oh, sure. So it's like I go there, I get to the house. Everyone is so sick. You know, my dad ended up going to the hospital. We couldn't see him for a month. He was just like slowly dying. Even the nurses couldn't really spend time with him. We weren't allowed to go. It was just like horrible. I remember being at work and having to work at Disney and then seeing my dad like, you know, with tubes up his nose and trying to talk to him during the day. It was just honestly like the most terrible thing. I got COVID obviously, but it wasn't a big deal because I'm young and it was like getting a cold. And then my dad passed away. The funeral was terrible. We weren't really allowed to have people at the funeral. And I think for anyone to have gone through that, basically just like watch their dad be sick for two months, to have willingly went and got COVID. To, and at that point, I was the first family who got COVID. So it's like none of my friends wanted to see me. Ugh. Like nobody was there for me when my dad died because everyone was just so scared. It's like, I'm sorry, stay away. Yeah, it wasn't like now where it's like normal to know somebody who got COVID. It wasn't like that. It was really scary for everyone. And I understand, but it's like, I spent my birthday alone. It was just a terrible year, right? I didn't see my boyfriend for months. Terrible. 
at that point, when my dad was in the hospital, I met a lady named Heather Monahan. Okay. (laughs) She's my mentor. She's amazing. And I was just helping her. You know, one of my, one of my principles is collaboration over competition. So Heather is a LinkedIn influencer. She's also a podcaster. And she was like, Holly, like you're crushing it. Let me, can I see behind the scenes? Can you walk me through some of the stuff that you do? And so I was just having calls with her, just like being her friend, showing her my Canva templates, showing her (laughs) my, you know, how I do headliner videos, my Slack channel, all that stuff. And she's like, wow, Hala, like what you have here is a business. Like, and you have a team. I have a team of volunteers, actually, like fans of the podcast who volunteered and now are paid and like Mm -hmm. leaders of my team. And she was like, you know, you've got to scale this out. I want to be your first client. And so I just started really slow. I started making videos for her with my team. And then we started booking her guests. And then we started doing her show briefs. And then we just started doing her actual posting and engagement. And then one thing led to another. And I'm doing all of Heather's social media and podcast stuff. Then I land another huge client, Jason Waller, who's like a billionaire. And it was a big monthly check. And then all of a sudden I could hire so many people. And then one thing led to another. Now I have almost 40 employees. I'm a full-time entrepreneur. In six months, I've scaled it to like almost a million dollars in revenue and contracts. Yeah. So things are skyrocketing. Yeah. yeah so media. It's, and, but in the midst of that, like your podcast is like destroying. It's like going through like massive changes. Uh, we were talking a little bit about, I was telling you some of my numbers. And I was like, dude, I hate to say that. And you're like, I remember when I had that. Yeah. You know, it's just funny how things change. Like, yeah. So the question here is, well, number one, congratulations on all that. And congratulations on being a full-time entrepreneur. Thanks. That's That's like you'll never go back. Yeah. Like I, I once met, <laughs> there's this uh, famous videographer, Peter McKinnon. I know you know him. And um, when I talked to him about it and I was brand, brand new and I was at Vid Summit to see Gary Vee, I saw Peter McKinnon. I was like, dude, I love your stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm an entrepreneur now. He's like, oh man, he's like, I'll never, I'm unemployable. He's like, I'd rather be homeless than work for someone again. <laughs> and I was just like, what? And now I get it though. Now yeah. I get it. So congratulations Thank on you. that. Um, but the podcast has done remarkably well and you have your team, but podcasting in 2021, even 2020, there's everyone would say everyone has a podcast. Yeah. Why should someone not start a podcast? I do want to cover why they should, even though it's a crowded marketplace, but why should someone not start a podcast right now? You should not start a podcast if you think that you're going to make a ton of money and it's like a business model for you. Like a podcast is not a good business model unless you already have a business first or unless you're a huge celebrity. It's not a business model. And a lot of people like ask me that question even before they even think about their podcast content. They're like, how can I monetize this idea? And I'm like, first, get your podcast down, you yeah. know, because it's, it's not an easy way to make money. I, I agree. I mean, I didn't go into it for the money. Now I'm looking to monetize, which is why we're going to talk after this. But what I see is that anyone who goes into it thinking like dollar signs or I could be the next Joe Rogan or whoever, I'm like, dude, it's fucking over already. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, dude, just back up. Like you have, because what I like to say, and I think in one of the clubhouse rooms, which we'll get into as well, I was like, it's way harder than you think. Yeah. Like it seems super easy and th- it, it is very easy to conceptually do, but there's a lot of work that goes into it. Now for the other people, for the other side, for entrepreneurs, business owners, even corporate teams who are like, we should have a podcast. Yeah. Why should they have a podcast? And why should they not be deterred by the fact that there's a million fucking podcasts out there? They should have a podcast because listeners who listen to podcasts are like really engaged. It's not like YouTube views. And it's also not something you can manipulate like through like fake downloads or anything like that. So people who listen to podcasts are like super engaged 
they're more likely to buy your product than somebody who just like watched a video of you or saw you, you know, on social media. And so it's just a great way to reach listeners who may be very interested in your products. And it's a great lead generation tool and both, both for your guests and your audience. So it's not just, you know, monetizing your audience. I actually make my money off my podcast through my guests and not pay for play. It's just, I have a marketing agency and a lot of my target audience for that agency would be interested in my social media marketing services. Got it. I mean, so there is like, a, there's a group out there, not a group, but there's like a couple camps of people, people who are like, I'm just doing this for passion. And those usually kind of fall out at some point. Yeah. Uh, and then there's some that are like strictly in it for monetization. And that usually falls out because in a couple months, they're like, what's happening? Nothing's happening. What's yeah. happening? Holla, nothing's happening, you know? And then there's people like you who understand that not only do you want to impact people and educate people, but there's clearly a viable option for some of your guests to enlist in, in exactly what you have. Yeah. So a lot of people don't understand that it is it, it is definitely a lead gen tool. It's, it's top of the funnel kind of marketing. Mm-hmm. How would you implore people to have patience to be like, dude, like, like things will trickle down at some point. Like you just got to get the listeners and then things will trickle down. Well, I think that you have to understand that podcasting is a long game, right? Like you're not going to get traction in year one. And also, if you've never done anything like this, you need to put in the reps. Young and Profiting Podcast is like my fifth show. Before that, I used to have online radio shows. I said I worked at the station, right? I used to do commercials for Hot 97. I used to host parties. I've had many different shows. I had a YouTube show. And so when I had Young and Profiting, I hit content like out the gate, like I was A+. plus. You know what I mean? So my first episode was really good because I already had those reps. Even though I took a four-year break, I was a little rusty, but I had that inside me. I had that experience. And so if you've never had any sort of public speaking experience, the first thing I would say is get your reps in and also realize (laughs) that this might not be your breakout show. This might be show number one, and then you'll get some reps and then have to pivot. So podcasting is a long game, like no matter which way you you take it, unless you're willing to invest a lot of money and unless you're willing to, you know, pay the price it takes to kind of skip over the line. But if you're not going to do that, then it's a long game and it's piece by like, member by member or listener by listener Mm. is how you have to pull them in. You've got to directly pull people in. People aren't just going to find you. So if you're not willing to put in the work, if you're not willing to do 50% promotion, 50% production, you're probably not going to be successful because again, people aren't going to just find you. You have to pull them in. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break and get right back to Hala. So this podcast is sponsored by Rich Cardona Media. Now, we understand the creative content process is not easy for a lot of people. And having done this now for a couple years, I could tell you it becomes a little bit more and more difficult because you have to continuously come up with content that's going to resonate with your target audience. Now, if you don't have the capacity to do that, if you have a small team that needs some guidance, we can literally come and teach your team over one or two days everything they need to do for a content strategy so you could be on a roll for the rest of the year, when to record, where to post, what the workflow is, all of it, all of it. Now that's just some technical aspects of it. Eliza and I are also gonna sit down with the leaders and express how we can actually enhance the personal brand so that way the content is coming across the right way. How are they gonna handle doing the research, determining what they should be posting in terms of being specific to their personal branding, showing up as authentic as they can. That's what we're here for. Definitely reach out, info at richcardonamedia.com. 
Okay, so you just said 50% production, 50% promotion, which is probably one of the biggest questions podcasters have, including myself. Like, what, what do you mean promotion? And, and I mean, there's a lot of different ways, but the game is awareness and attention, attention, attention. How do you get people to look at your podcast, whether it's about leadership, whether it's about being young and profiting, or whether it's about Legos? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to split this up in two parts. Hit it. I'm going to split it up in in-app and off-app. Okay. Okay. So off-app strategies means means outside of the podcast apps, outside of Apple, CastBox, Spotify, wherever the listeners are. This is the hardest part because it's very hard for people to go from social media or your website to actually go listen to your podcast. So on social media, your goal is to build a targeted community, focus on one platform and scale that out. And then, like I said, pull each listener in one by one. So that means engaging in the DMs. Yeah. That means engaging your existing network, your WhatsApp groups, your alumni associations, you know, your any circles that you're involved in, making sure they know about your podcast, making sure every time you have a new episode, you proactively reach out to those people directly in the DMs, in email, you know, reach out to them direct. If you were reaching out to me direct, what would that look like? If I, if I, if you and I worked at Hot 97 years ago, but I'm like, dude, holla keep it up. You're doing amazing things. You have a new episode out with Matthew McConaughey and you're like, and you want to make sure you reach out to me. What does that interaction look like? First of all, I would prioritize the people who have already engaged on my micro content. So a big piece of this is obviously posting consistently on social media. So my main platforms are LinkedIn and now Instagram. I chop up my videos into micro content and having a video element is important because you need that visual with podcasting. It's very hard to promote something that's just audio only and audiograms by the way perform horribly they, so i'd go they, with videos I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. videos or pictures yes. right so uh you post your video up anybody who likes or comments on that video has given you permission to reach out yeah so anybody who likes or comments i always send them a message and i say hey thank you so much for liking my recent post i don't know if you got a chance to check out the episode yet but i just interviewed you know matthew mcconaughey he released green lights. It's all about, you know, taking your life to the next level and, you know, understanding the signs of life and, and taking those opportunities and taking risks. So I would love for you to t- take a listen to the show. Let me know how you liked it. I'd love to hear your feedback. And so that question, that engagement piece is really important because then people feel like you trust them. You want your their feedback. They feel obligated to listen. And so usually they either respond, thank you so much. Um, I love the show. And then I can say, oh, would you mind leaving us an Apple podcast review or something like that? And then it could drive reviews, which helps your rankings. So all of that kind of stuff is important. And as you can realize, that takes a lot of time, right? A ton of time. Yeah, but you've got to invest in it. So the time aspect is when when you'll need a team or interns or an agency like yours, or we, we, we help with stuff like that as well. But when you're reaching out, at what point for people who are starting the podcast, do they need to get over the fact that it feels like self-promotion and just own that it's self-promotion? Be like, in order to grow this, I need to water the fucking plant. Yeah. Right? So like, what do you say to people who are like self-conscious? Like, I don't want to bother Rich. He puts good content out there, blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't want to DM him and be like, hey, check this out. Let me know what you think. How do you get over that? I think that you need to realize that, you know, it's not going to get out there if you keep it to yourself. 
SEO for podcasts is very limited. Yeah. So it's not like having a blog or it's not the same. You know what I mean? And so it's like you need to be confident enough. And if you don't believe in yourself, why would anybody else believe in you? And that's why I say to be targeted. That's why I said focus on who's liking your post because it gives you permission and ex- an excuse yeah. to talk to them without it being so awkward because mm-hmm. they already liked your content. Right. And so I would focus like when you have a new show, you can reach out to everyone. Yeah. But once you actually launch your show, try to target and and pick people who would like your show, pick people who are already listening to shows just like yours. You know, look at the hashtags that are relevant to your show. Look up the competitors who have similar shows and and reach out to those people. Mm -hmm. Try to find people who you think you have some sort of inkling that they may like your content. Yes. That's how it will be. You know, that's how you'll have a higher success rate. Now, one last thing on the out app. Is that what you said? Like out of app or essentially? So paid. Do you do any paid? Do you do paid for some of your clients? Like we are blasting this out on, on, on Facebook and we're going to target because we know we could target. I don't do any Facebook ads. I feel like that's a waste of money. It's not very successful when it comes to podcasting. I do some YouTube ads sometimes. If I have a big, you know, guest, sometimes I'll do YouTube ads to drive that. But also I haven't seen that much lift in terms of actual you know, getting subscribers on my channel or anything like that. It's just kind of vanity. So I don't even recommend that. Okay. Uh, for paid, I recommend in-app strategy. Okay. Well, let's so hit it then. Let's go to in-app. Yeah. Actually, hold on one second. Okay. Okay. For YouTube, I don't think people want to watch an entire podcast yeah. on YouTube. What are your thoughts on that? Because everyone's like, well, we got to make sure we're on YouTube as well. And I'm like, yeah, but you got to make it YouTube sexy. Yeah. Right? Like you got to play YouTube rules. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's kind of like you got to get in that box. And I know you don't like to be in a box, but when it comes to that, what are your thoughts on publishing an entire interview? Yeah. YouTube is a very expensive endeavor and it's very different than your podcast channel. And so YouTube, to your point, long videos don't perform well and your channel can actually get deprioritized and get kind of the ranking of it hurt in terms of the visibility that YouTube gives it if people don't finish your videos. And so if you have a 60 minute video and people don't finish it, YouTube is not going to share your videos because they'll be like, nobody ever finishes. Especially if it's like five out of 60 minutes. Like that's the worst case scenario. Yeah. So I, I do put the full episode up because I have a lot of fans already. And so I worry that people would get upset if I didn't put the full video out on YouTube because a lot of people in India, like that's how they primarily watch podcasts or listen to podcasts. There's some, there's some regions that don't even have accessibility to all the different podcast apps and it hasn't really like matured yet. So YouTube is important for me on a global scale and that's why I do full episodes. But I also do 10 minute videos and three to five minute videos as well. Shorts, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then the other thing is we don't do intros on our YouTube videos, go straight to the content. No outro. You mean you're not doing like in this video, subscribe here, blah, blah, blah. Here you go. Like, we'll do that like five minutes in. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the beginning has to engage people. Yeah. So it can't be like this long intro or commercials that we do for the podcast apps. It's a whole different game. And also like the thumbnail is way more important. Yes. Sometimes more important than the video. It's so it's huge. crazy that like it's a whole different way of thinking. And like I said, it's a lot of time and investment. So if you're a podcaster, definitely shoot videos for your social media videos, but you need to realize that YouTube is like maybe twice as much time as your, as the audio channels in terms of the work. It's so much work and it might not be worth it anymore with TikTok and all this other stuff coming out and clubhouse. It might not be worth it to really focus on YouTube anymore. In my opinion, it's an uphill battle for sure. Okay. Now, so now we're at in-app. So like hit me, hit me with that. In-app strategy. So I feel like I'm one of one of the 
only people or there's like a small subset of podcasters who are focused on in-app. And it's usually the advanced podcasters who are crushing it, mm-hmm. right? So if you're not doing what she's about to say, consider yourself novice. <laughs> For real, seriously. <laughs> yeah. it's like, because it's like, this is what you do when you've exhausted all external opportunities, yes. right? So first of all, you wanna be where the podcast listeners are, mm-hmm. okay? 25% of Americans don't know what podcasts are. Only half of people in America have actually listened to a podcast in 2021. Yep. So when you're promoting externally, What's happening is that you're missing an opportunity to market to people who are actually familiar with the technology, who are comfortable with the technology, right? Mm-hmm. And people who listen to podcasts tend to have seven podcasts in the rotation, six or seven, mm-hmm. right? So you can be one of those seven podcasts. So you want to market to where they already are. And not everyone is listening on Apple anymore. Yes, you've educated me. And that was like a big aha moment for me when I when I realized that really not many people are actually listening on Apple. That's like an old way of thinking that was kind of 10 years ago and people are still touting that because there's a lot of big podcasters who are still, you know, the king of the castle yeah. with podcasting because of their success 10 years ago. But to make it now, you need to have a bigger, like you need to have a more open mind in terms of where the podcast listeners are. Yep. So there's many different ways to promote an app. The first way and the cheapest way is to go on guest interviews on other podcasts. So like I'm doing with you right now, that's a great way to get new listeners because people who listen to your podcast will probably like my podcast. Go check out Young and Profiting. And then I've acquired some of your listeners, but you don't lose anything because they're listening to seven shows. So as long as you're, you know, one of the seven, it's good for you. It's good for me. So if I was an up and coming podcaster, I would team up with other podcasters in my niche, people who are a little bit higher than me, a little bit lower than me. I would start a group. I would swap interviews or swap commercials, swap reviews, and kind of help each other grow and leverage each other's audiences. So that's one way. Uh The other way is to do media buys. Okay. So you can do media buys in terms of podcast reads where you go on advertisecast.com or podcorn.com. There's other platforms or agencies, or you can reach out direct and you can say, Hey Rich, you know, how much does it cost to do a commercial on your show? I'd love to do a mid-roll commercial with you. I'll pay you X, Y, Z. And then you can reach people that way by getting advertising on other people's podcasts. Yes. And that's how a lot of the big, big people do it. And uh, a lot of times it's a big investment to do that. Can you paint this picture for me just a little bit more? So let's just say we focus on creating video content for, you know, seven, eight figure entrepreneurs, you know, three months at a time. So that way they don't have to worry about it. Their creative team can take it and do all that, all they need to do in order to kind of fill their pipeline, get leads and all that other stuff. If I were to say, I'd love to advertise on your show, that would be a mid-roll, like literally something along what I just said, but a lot sexier than that. I would pay you to put that in the middle of your podcast. Yeah. So there's multiple spots. So mm-hmm. pre-roll yeah. is is a little bit cheaper. Mid-roll is the best place to be because people will skip over your pre-roll, which yes. is like the ad in the beginning of your podcast. Yes. So mid-roll is when everyone's engaged. They're more li- not likely not to skip. And then there's post-roll, but nobody really does that because no one's listening by the end, mm-hmm. you know, typically. When do you ask for reviews then? Sorry, since you mentioned that, that's really important. So I ask for reviews right at the end of my podcast, and I typically shout out a recent reviewer. And that's because I think that my most engaged listeners are probably listening till the end, and they're most likely to drop a review. Mm-hmm. And I like to just like, for new listeners, I don't like to solicit for reviews in the beginning because I feel like it kind of wastes their time, and I want them to really get into the podcast. And tro- So I try to like make it as engaging as possible in the beginning and go straight to the content as much as I can and then ask for reviews at the end. 
Very cool. So you you talked to me about Apple, but if I know there's Spotify and and you know Stitcher and all this other stuff, what are some things that people don't really know about where you could probably make some massive gains if you play it right? Yeah. So first of all, I don't know anybody who listens on Stitcher. I think Stitcher is one of those like big hype things that nobody really listens on. So there's a lot of hype in the industry. So Apple is really hyped. Stitcher was hyped. People do listen on Spotify, right? Castbox is huge. I'm sleeping on that. There's an app called Podcast Republic. It's Android only. Huge. One of the biggest Android apps. Podcast Addict, Pocket Cast. There's a lot of apps and it's distributed because people like to have their podcast consumed in the way that they want it. And so some of these podcast players are really advanced. It allows them to create playlists to know which podcast they haven't listened to yet, to set timers for their podcast in terms of like waking up to a podcast or whatever. So all these apps have different features and some people, you know, like using them over something like Apple or Spotify. And so there's lots of listeners out there that aren't listening on the traditional apps. And so you need to try to reach out to them. They also have a lot of the times like media buying opportunities. So on Apple, the only way that you can get yourself out there is through guest swaps, through podcast reads like we were just talking about. But on apps like Overcast, Pocket Cast, Podcast Addicts, uh, CastBox, a lot of these apps have advertising opportunities in app. And so that could be like a featured spot on their homepage. That could be like if you're listening to a similar podcast, listen to podcasts just like this or like a slide up banner in the app. And you can pay for advertising. And, you know, typically it's either by impressions or they guarantee a certain number of subscribers. And if you have the money, you can actually advertise an app. And I would suggest that's a way better bang for your buck really? than going on Facebook or YouTube and doing ads because that jump to go from Facebook to your podcast is really hard to take, mm -hmm. whereas in-app, they can just click and go straight to your podcast. What, now, those other apps, and this is new to me, this is kind of perfect, um, when it comes to some of those other apps, like you need subs on those apps though. So like if I'm uploading the leadership blocker on Pocket Casts, yeah. and I don't have any subs on that app, like, how do I, like, is that where I start? Just like paid, like otherwise, like how am I gonna, re like I don't even know how to reach the people on those apps. Well, it's the same thing as any other app. So it's like you're going to distribute your podcast. When you first start starting podcasts, you want to make sure that your app is available everywhere. Yeah. Because if people can find you, they should be, like, if people have the chance to find you, you mm -hmm. should allow them to, yep. right? Yep. So if they're already listening on Pocket Cast, for example, you should be on there because if they're looking at education podcasts, you might pop up or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure you're there regardless of if you're advertising or not. But in terms of advertising, that will like, you know, position you to be more visible in the app. That's yeah. all the advertising is. It's some sort of featured banner yep. so that the people can just find you easier. And so I, I mean, you don't necessarily have to do it, but it's a, you know, if you want to really be strategic and acquire subscribers, that's the best way to do it. I, I obviously agree. So let's talk about the fact that you've, done so well, you landed the podcast magazine cover, and it is the literally like the best possible clubhouse profile photo you could have, because it's like, <laughs> I'm a fucking authority in this, here we go. So you're uh, in Club Pod, you're hosting rooms regularly, 
Talk to me about what you've seen out of Clubhouse because I want to keep bringing that up in my podcast to the people who I know are active on there and, and how that's impacted uh, anything with your podcast, your business, and your just kind of your presence. I love Clubhouse. Clubhouse has given me access to people I never had access for and it's making me even more of a podcast authority because I actually know my shit, yeah. right? So it's easy to look at me and be like, oh, this girl just got lucky or whatever. And it's like, I actually know my shit. And yep. so I get to be on podcasts office hours and tell everybody what I know. Yep. And then people start to realize like, wow, this girl has a lot of experience in this space, even before young and profiting, you know? And so I'm able to share that knowledge and command authority, like you yeah. just said. Yeah. The other thing that's really cool is, so I've been a LinkedIn influencer and I know all the podcasters and the whole community on LinkedIn yeah. very well. Yeah. That's how I met you. Yeah. There's a whole world of Instagram podcasters that I was never visible to because I don't have a big Instagram following. Only now my Instagram is starting to grow yeah, from Clubhouse, yeah. right? And now all of a sudden, all these Instagram podcasters who are really big are starting to realize who I am. And they're starting to realize that I know the same people they know because I've interviewed the same guests. The circle's getting and smaller. Now all of a sudden, I've opened up my world to a whole new world of podcasters and I'm being invited to PodFest Global and mm -hmm. Headline or to the Clubhouse Podcast Festival and all these different things. And it's just giving me so much more exposure. Yeah. Uh, also, I think it's just a great way to create new content. Mm -hmm. So I've been recording live interviews. Yeah. I've been introducing my network to each other. So for example, I did like a hacking human behavior event. I invited a couple people who've been on the podcast yes, before. Yes, I was in the car for that. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then I had them all together and it was really cool. And I just did this like live show and we had Q&A and people on Clubhouse enjoyed it. I probably had a thousand people in and out or more. And then I get to put it on my podcast channels and I get, you know, double the content. Yep. It's just amazing. Like I just love the possibilities with Clubhouse and I love sharing my knowledge and so and giving back and so I just love it. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about that what you're saying is like I I agree Clubhouse is fantastic, but you're able to answer questions real time and that's like very valuable for someone. So yeah. if someone's willing to like be on stage for 40 minutes and be like, all right, I got to wait for four more people, fuck. But then I get a chance to ask you a question and you answer it and you're like, this is what you got to do for that. That's a huge value. Yeah. And like people will not forget that. That's an easy follow on Instagram. That's an easy follow on Clubhouse. Yeah. That's an easy sub, probably if they haven't subbed already. So I think it's a, a very, very good strategy. Any tips on for podcasters specifically on Clubhouse? My advice would be to, you know, if you're an up and coming podcaster, be in those podcast office hour rooms. Yeah. Because even me as a very experienced person in radio and podcasting, I love attending those rooms with, and I invite my other friends like you yeah. and other experts in the field because I love hearing what they do. In the information age, knowledge is power. Knowledge is your power right now. And so being in those rooms and absorbing that knowledge, even if you don't have the courage to speak, just listen because you'll learn something new every single time and you take that knowledge to take actions to make your podcast bigger and bigger. And so if I was an up and coming podcaster, I would just listen. Yeah. Right. I would listen and contribute as much as you can. And once you feel like you can, you know, contribute the same way that other people are in terms of like the people moderating the rooms, then you start opening up your own rooms and providing that value as well. Yep. And grow your network because a lot of people don't realize that getting ahead in this game means collaborating with others. Mm -hmm. I got ahead because I wasn't scared to give away my information. I wasn't scared to introduce my network to each other. I wasn't scared to put myself out there and be like, hey, Rich, join my WhatsApp group. You know what I mean? Like, join my friends, meet my friends. I want you to be part of our community. Yep. And that's how you get ahead, honestly. Like, yep. unless you've got a whole ton of money, 
you got to do it with, you can't do it on your own. Yeah. Uh, Dan Fleischman always says the, the only real hack and the only fast forward is just building relationships. Like that's literally only it. And then the other thing, as you were saying, everything you said, Damon John always says it is, um, you know, collecting the dots and then connecting the dots. Like that seems like something you prioritize at scale and that's what benefits you tremendously. So we'll wrap in a second, but first, like what, what does the future look like? Like what is next? Like, are you going to have uh, your own yeah. channel somewhere? Like what's going to happen? I don't know. Everything's been like just moving so fast. I have a Ted talk in June. Mm. I'm doing a lot more speaking engagements. Good. I think I'm going to write a book one day. Okay. Probably about like overcoming failure because that's a theme in my life being yes. like kind of at zero and starting back up again. Uh, you know, my company's growing really fast. So I think that's going to keep progressing. Maybe having a podcast network one day. A lot of the people who work for Yap Media are podcasters themselves. Mm. And a lot of them are really great talent that I believe in. Yep. And so possibly starting a podcast network. Yeah. And I just think just growing everything. Like I feel like I have all the, like the foundation is in place and I just need to just grow, grow, grow. Now. How much so. patience do you have uh, for all these dreams and all these scenarios that you could see yourself. And obviously none of that seems far-fetched to me as, as someone sitting across from you, like, I'm like, yeah, like that's gonna happen. Like, you know, but how much patience do you have for all this? Are you in a rush at all? Or are you like, dude, I got all day. I'm not in a rush, but I feel like I've paid my dues. <laughs> I feel like I've done, you and, and you know what? I put in the work, I put in the reps, I've made the connections, I have the knowledge, I have the money now, like, I waited a long time. I built this up as a, I, all of this was a side hustle up until two weeks ago. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, and I now you're I'm texting, you're like, today's day one. <laughs> and I'm like, nothing is ever going to be the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, it's like, I just became a full-time entrepreneur, yes. you know, it's like, so I was able to do all of this half time. I can't wait to just go full time. And it's like, so I'm patient, but I'm like hitting the ground running yeah. because I know that it's like my time to shine. You know, everything's like just, it's really hit a peak. And so I'm just really excited to keep growing it. And just, you know, a lot of my guests say like, hey, you're going to be the next Oprah. And when people say that to me, I'm like, those are big shoes to fill. Yeah. I don't know about that. But I hear that a lot now. And For it's you. just crazy. And so I just can't wait to see what happens. If people want to follow you, where do you want them to follow you? Or is there anything you want people to consume? You have anything for anyone to give away? Listen to Young and Profiting Podcasts. I interview the brightest minds in the world and I provide actionable advice for everyone. It will never be a waste of your time. I really, you know, research a lot yes. for these interviews and I really give it my all. So it's like, you'll never waste time listening to Young and Profiting Podcasts. You'll learn something new each time. So check that out. I'm on all the different apps. Follow me on LinkedIn at Hala Taha, Clubhouse yeah. at Hala Taha, yep. Instagram at Yap with Hala, or just go to youngandprofiting.com. Yeah, we'll put all that in the show notes for sure. But Hala, thank you so much. Oh, thank uh, this you. has been ridiculous. I'm so happy. This is, it's always fucking worth it. It's always worth it. I Yay. cannot tell you a time I've like flown somewhere and been like, this isn't worth it. This is fantastic. So thank you for thank being you on the so show. Thank you so much. And it was such a pleasure to do this in person, Rich. All right, everyone, I, I know, I already know. I know you got something out of that because I got a ton out of it. Literally, I had to watch it over to be like, okay, did I do this yet? Did I do this yet? 
she wants you to win. She wants me to win. And I'm going to win because I know people like Hala. So if you want that word, if you want these podcast tips and all these great things to get across to more people, please rate and review the podcast. Uh, we've been on a surge. We've been getting ranked in Apple Podcasts, uh, you know, internationally and nationally. And and I mean, this is the this is the culmination of a lot of hard work and it's going to continue to rise with your help. So please consider rating and reviewing and let me know. Let Hala know how we did and we'll talk to you soon.